Thanks for joining us inside the Dancer's Studio, where we bring listeners like you closer to the creative process. Inside the Dancer's Studio is a program of the National Center for Choreography at the University of Akron. This episode was recorded in the presence of a live audience in June of 2022 during the inaugural Creative Administration Research Summit convening in Akron, Ohio. Today, we're excited to share an excerpt of the closing plenary facilitated by Ontario, California-based arts administrator and professor, Elena Marie Muslar. Elena is the founder and chief empowerment officer of Confide Creative, a coaching and consulting practice dedicated to the collective cultural and economic progress of pre-professionals and working professionals. She's also Associate Director of Programs at Fractured Atlas, a national nonprofit arts service organization that helps artists and creative businesses thrive. And she's a lecturer at Loyola Marymount University, teaching Introduction to Business and the Arts. She's been honored by L.A. County for her leadership in the arts and creative economy, for her commitment to cultural equity and inclusion, and dedication to community affairs and civic pride. Joining Elena in this closing plenary conversation titled Money, Mindset, and Motivation, where artist meets enterprise, are New York City-based artist Antoine Byers, Boston-based artist Indira Goodwine, Durham, North Carolina-based artist Jamatatu M. Poe, and Miami, Florida-based artist Rosie Herrera. But we hope that you'll also avail yourself of coffee, water, some snacks still available in the back. Keep up your strength to fuel the mind, fuel the conversation. If we haven't met, and we do, that is maybe possible. We have some guests that have joined us because this is open to the public. My name is Christy Bolingbroke. I'm the Executive Artistic Director for the National Center for Choreography here in Akron, Ohio. And what have we been doing all week? Really all week, this has been a penultimate moment, two years in the making. Our creative admin research program at NCC Akron has 19 teams across 16 states, including both lead artists and thought partners. And what is creative administration? Because NCC Akron is a research and development space to advance dance on the national landscape. And something that we recognized and are super grateful that the Andrew W. Mellon Foundation agreed with us on is that we can help new work get made, but if we don't also invest time and energy and effort experimenting and exploring to make a better dance ecology, then to what extent are we being complicit in the broken system that so many of us have inherited? So it's not just about what's your next piece or what are you making, but also how we do business. And that's where CAR came in. Creative admin research offers up the hypothesis that there isn't one way of making dances, so there also shouldn't be just one way of doing dance business. So let's interrogate, quote unquote, best practices. Let's shed some of those. Let's find new ways of doing things and make intentional decisions, experimenting with the administration that we want to proceed. Super exciting. 
Because I feel it, y'all. I don't know about you. Did anyone else feel it this week? All right. You felt it a little bit? A lot. A lot is good. Uh, and very grateful to welcome to the stage, if they want to come on up, Elena Muslar is going to be our moderator, also has been a part of our convening committee. I'm going to vamp while they come up and take a seat to acknowledge our other convening committee members who worked with us over many months, Indira Goodwine, like the wine that you drink, Arnie Tunstall, Nicole Mullet, Silas Reiner, Raja Feather Kelly, uh, Haley Smizer, Kat Wentz, and Jennifer Edwards all worked with us as convening committee members. Special thanks goes out to the Andrew W. Mellon Foundation as the lead sponsor for this program. You can find more program information, bios for our speakers and artists today by scanning the QR code. Thank you, Keisha. Keisha, Christy, Mika, Sarah, Megan, the entire NCC Akron team and volunteers wouldn't have happened this week without them. Extra special thank you to them as well. Laura was stepping outside. Okay, see, I saw you back there. Um, and we also had additional support to make this week happen from the National Endowment for the Arts. They, they came in late, but they still came in, right? You know, we submitted last July, and then they confirmed in April, which, you know, this was going to happen regardless. But we appreciate that, too. All right, regardless what their timeline was. So I'm going to turn it over. And really encourage y'all, thank you so much for being generous and open and transparent and vulnerable, because this is all still a work in process. But at NCC Akron, we love process. So let's do it. Y'all can hear me? I don't know if I'm just projecting or, the, oh, it's working. There we go. My theater voice. Um, hello, everyone. I'm super excited to be here. As uh, Christy mentioned, I'm Elena Muslar, and um, we're just going to chat. We're going to have a chat about where money and mindset is in conversation with each other and where we sit with, you know, the realities around what power money holds over us as artists, as administrators, and how are we in dialogue with that in a healthy and conscious way. Um, so I'm, I'm excited to dig into this with my panelists here, my illustrious panel, uh, about you know wh where the motivation sits besides the need besides the need to make rent, besides, you know, all of the things that are the basic necessities, like where do we actually start to think about what money can do for us or what we don't need to accept money for? Um, so for me, this conversation is really looking at how are we internally shaping and shifting our relationship to money and the power that it has within us, over us, um, based in our decision-making skills or even our own sense of self-worth. And also, like, what is the value of the work that we do? And who, who is it that has access to that valuable work? How do we shepherd that access? How do we decide when we do share access or when we don't um, in terms of 
the impact we want to have on the world as artists. So I'm excited to dig into this with these wonderful folks. And they, they have an idea of some of the things I'm going to ask them. So we'll see what they say. Um, I, <laughs> so let's, let's kick it off. So my first question, or really um, invitation, is if we could just go down the line and just share with us your name, so everyone know who's who, even though they, you know, the QR code and the bios and whatnot. Um, your name, and then two or three words. I like three. If you can get there, do it. If not, all good. Um, that explain like what grounds you or anchors you in your creative practice. Just to get an idea, a sense of like what's the footing we're all we're each on here. All right. You want to take it away? Well, I can take it away. Hey, y'all. Um, my name's Antoine Byers. Uh, my pronouns are he and him. I'm from Lenape Hoking, New York. Um, and three words um, that ground me are community, curiosity, and ancestors. Mm, I love that. Thank you. Community, curiosity, and ancestors. Perfect. So keep that in mind as Antoine answers questions like where that that sits, and then what are those decisions that come out of understanding that grounding, that framework for you? Continue. I was hoping, is this on? It is. Um, I was hoping I would go last so that I could like do a little plagiarizing on the way. Um, <laughs> but I really, the only word that really comes is the ocean. Like mm. that's the main, that's the first word. It could be, if it could be three words, I'd say it three ways, but the ocean. Um, yeah ancestors, mm -hmm. and um, joy. Wonderful. Yeah. I'm Jumatatu. Uh, I, my pronouns are flexible. I'm currently living in Durham, North Carolina. Mm -hmm. You live there too? Oh, really? Yeah, I'm, I'll be there. <laughs> um, uh, after a long time in Philadelphia, and then, uh, <laughs> and then um, I'm originally from California. Represent West Side. Where are you from? Where, I'm from South Central LA. Where are you from? I I, I was born <laughs> in San Jose. I lived in Santa Cruz, Sacramento, San Diego. Oh, you just came all the way down, but skipped my area. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I've been learning. I've been doing a lot of uh, genealogy work and learning just how much movement for generation i mean you know the 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 kind of larger communal migration patterns but just how much movement there's been and so i identify as a voyager that's not one of my words i was like where the word at you gonna tie this together for no. okay so my words are transformation care and confusion mm -hmm. great yeah, but you're you're in, you're inspired. You're not stealing. You're inspired. Yes, thank you. <laughs> yeah. Thank you. Thank you, Jumata. Hi, everyone. My name is Indira Goodwine. My pronouns are she, her. Uh, I currently reside on Lenape land in New York City. And I have to start by saying this to give framing, of course. So I'm an artist before I'm an administrator, before I'm a funder. And I think it's important to just acknowledge all of the things that hopefully I will bring to this conversation. And with that, I'm going to use a dance analogy. So everyone who's a dancer in this space knows about rice, right? 
Come on, rest, ice, compression, elevation. And this is usually used if you have some sort of injury and you're looking to have a space of healing um, to get over that injury, right? And possibly increase your flexibility. So for me, I've shifted that in my work to stand for responsibility, integrity, compassion, and enthusiasm. So in my work as a funder, those are things that ground me. Yes, come through. So I just created a poem, y'all. That's why I, that's, it was, it was that's just it. all about poetry right here. Poetry in motion. Um, I really love the way that you've redefined that and reclaimed that for yourself. And as a way to, in a way, I think it's interesting because it still keeps you grounded in where you came from, in what you started with. And I mean, I think the thing for me is also when we when we think about creative practice, even in administration, we still have creative practice. And one of the things for me that's really important is how I start my day. So as much as I'm not warming up in the studio anymore, there's still a warm up to do administrative work. Oh, yeah. Right. Outside of yes, the training and the skill set and all of that, there is still a certain mindset that you need to have when you are thinking about the ways in which you want to impact the artists, the communities, the presenters, the larger ecology that you work with. And so for me, doing that is, yes, keeping me in, ooh, I'm still a dancer first. And so how do I bring all of that even when I'm at this desk, yes. when I'm in these meetings? You know, how do I bring all of that? So it's very important. Yes, it's it's that impact in conversation with what's the form of interaction that you choose to have and, and how have you invested in yourself first in order to engage at that level. And that investment is a different form of what we're talking about. Like what is what is that investment of self that we have to do in order to do the work that we're meant to do. Uh, so as y'all think about maybe some of the experiences you've had with whatever hat you wear, I think we're all artists, we're all administrators, we're all all of these things, whether you like it or not. Um, <laughs> you know, the, it's just how much of that do you choose to do or how much of that do you delegate in terms of your, your work and your responsibilities. So as you're thinking about the responsibilities you hold with whatever seat of power you come from, what's an experience that's maybe tested you in your work, in your practice, in your creative practice? Mm. Okay. <laughs> well, ancestors, ancestors. Yes, yes. They said the test is here. All right. So, uh, yeah. Like, what's something that test you tested you in your work, and maybe what did you have to invest or pour into yourself to help you navigate through that situation? Jumatatu, I see you. Like, like you're. No, I'm just like like watching the the memory. <laughs> like wash over you and I'm curious oh okay like like, like mm -hmm. Antoine <laughs> yes indeed um the so we got this question in advance and there were a couple of different options that I was thinking about I feel like the one that you, you saw, saw washing over yeah. my face um in the fall of 2021 uh the group of artistic collaborators and myself that had been working on a project, a series of projects called Let Him Move You, were touring um, to six cities. Mm -hmm. One of those cities was Portland, Oregon, uh, with, uh, with uh, an institution called PICA, mm -hmm. Portland Institute of, for Contemporary Art. And um, 
what we were doing there, there's different elements to this project. Uh, it involved, it, it, it's, a, it's a project that is grounded in black majorette culture and dances uh, coming from the South and Southern US states. And um, there, there, there's kind of three prongs that we were focused on, focused on performing within the spaces that house kind of these, you know, like art institutions, black box theater spaces, white box gallery spaces, converted warehouse spaces, and then also the the, the kind of audience following the cultural hegemonies present in the architecture, in the kind of cultivation of audience communities, uh, in the the relationship between where that where the institution is and who who's been displaced for it to yes. to, to be there, um, that kind of, that that aspect. Then there's the the second prong is performing outside on sidewalks and in alleyways in black communities, whether that's historically black or uh, predominantly black. Yeah, getting ready to be historically black. You know. Um, yeah. And then what are the, the and, and then the third prong is the the queer party space, whether that's a club space and that that the performance is usually the most stealth, you yeah. know, almost like secret and you know, almost nobody knows is going on and, unless they're really looking for it. Under the um, and in each of those we're thinking about what is the intervention happening with this group of black queer performers that we're taking doing these majorette dances in these spaces, dealing with the kind of possibilities and limitations yeah. that are prepared to meet us, and then what do we do when we get there? So importantly, we were dealing with the outdoor element of the the work. Um, the I don't know if the it, 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 have people been to Portland, Oregon? Okay, yeah. So you know, I mean, you know, like that that kind of the, the what, what that's giving the we were we were the there was a major so the performance route takes a, is a, over the course of about a mile, mm -hmm. and we pass through Dawson Park, historically black Dawson Park. Um, which has been, you know, uh, uh, you know, revitalized by the city so that yeah. all the black people can leave and, you know, mm -hmm. et cetera. You know, the, the, uh, all of those rhythms that are happening all, all across the world. Yeah. All across the world. We have been working with all of the presenters on the tour for a very long time to try to enable the understanding that this work is created with the witnesses that come to see it, mm -hmm. and we need a whole lot of black people in those spaces. And you know, like everybody, <laughs> I, everybody seemed down, and I, I don't think that we were naive going into it. You know, we knew that it was going to be a hope. lot of work. We had hope, and also we we were prepared to do a lot of work to be able to realize these works. What we weren't prepared for was the the kind of white parade that was ready to meet us in mm. Portland for the performances, which we performed in Portland. We've never seen an, audi an audience composition quite like what, what we saw the day of the first performance. Wow. And um, the day before, when we were walking through the performance route through Dawson Park, there had been, there, we had already been confronted with some of the hostility that we're always prepared for doing this work. Yeah. Um, it was particularly heightened for us to be in, you know, like just very casual, like sweats and stuff yeah. like that. Um, not even really doing the choreography except for this like little march step that we were doing. 
Um, and already there were this, this group of ostensibly cis men, black mm. cis men who were just not, not having it. Mm. Um, God, I'm talking so long, sorry, sorry. Uh, what, the, what, so, what my, it, this is important, and I, what I would love for you to kind of center on uh, too is you said there's, an, um, there's a certain amount we're usually prepared for. Yeah. I'm curious if you can pinpoint what, what is the preparation version? Yeah. And then what were you unprepared for and how did you navigate through that unpreparedness yeah. to get to the other side? We, for this, uh, this group of performances, we, we're consistently working with community de-escalators from the different, who have direct relationships to the performance routes, mm -hmm. who have much more information about what it is to be in those spaces. Okay. As we, you know, as we're traveling through, as we'll pass through and then we'll leave, you know, yeah. performing with local performers who will stay. Gotcha. And so, you know, so, so what, it, what that kind of, um, what that, what, what, how to be prepared for the kind of residue that yeah. we'll leave. Um, and then we always have our own internal de-escalation practices and just uh, protection practices that we'll do to get ready for the performances, Great. checking in with one another about how, we, how each of us wants to be protected and mm -hmm. how we're willing to offer protection. Um, and then also the protection, the, the, the getting ready of being in those spaces, you know, going on those routes, talking to people that we'll, we'll meet going to the city a, a couple of times before, you know, and it's, it's so, yeah, so, so that's so the protection is a part of your creative practice in yes. and of itself. Yeah. And when you were met with this environment, that wasn't what kind of like your layers or levels of protection had gotten to, what was the thing that helped your community, your group get right. through it? So when we got there, there was a big eruption, of, mm -hmm. you know, because it's the, 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 these, these very, this very black queer aesthetic yeah. in the front of the parade, followed by this, you know, hipster whiteness, you know, yeah, behind yeah. us into this park where lots of people had been displaced mm -hmm. from. And so there's this eruption. Um, and one of the things that we... Did what you know? The, the first thing that we did with the the three performers that were centralized in that moment, we we looked at one another to have that moment mm -hmm. of check in to remember what we had what mm -hmm. we had done to prepare for this to remember the protections mm -hmm. that we were offering into this space that we were asking for, and then we looked to the community de-escalators, and then we continued. We continued mm -hmm. with the performance. We trusted that this was going to to resolve itself in the way that we could. And we trusted also that we need to continue moving this through as quickly as the performance will allow because it's, um, it, 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 because it, it, to, 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 avoid, to avoid any more violence than the, the ones that were already, the, mm. the one that had already erupted uh, verbally, mm. uh, emotionally. So did that, was that trust the thing that you would say is what guided you through to For the sure. other side? So I think that's really interesting to sit with for a moment, like the conversation between like all of these elements, being prepared with the ability to know what de-escalation 
feels like within your group, within your community, to have that already set, to understand what are protective measures, to then move into remembering those protective measures when you're threatened in environments that, you know, creative practice isn't just this fun, like, la, 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 I get to go dance in the streets. You know, it's, it's, you are moving minds, you are changing culture, you are impacting um, societal shifts. And that work, you have to be mentally um, ready for it. Yeah, mentally, spiritually, emotionally, physically, there, and what we call that is MEPS, like, I like to do check-ins with people at the beginning of facilitation yeah. practices where it's like, where are you at? Yeah. <laughs> Mentally, yeah. emotionally, physically, spiritually. Yeah. And remembering your MEPS like in these environments can be the difference between if, if they feel like you're actually quote-unquote successful because successful doesn't always have to be tied to that monetary, um, mm-hmm. you know, what you're receiving in that monetary way. So I appreciate you sharing that because that's a big part of how we can then get to doing the work mm-hmm. that pays us what we deserve and understands the value of it, understands that you're literally at the level of, in my opinion, you know, law enforcement. Like you are going into communities and, you know, 50, 50, 60, 70, 80% of different city budgets go to our law enforcement. But here we have an artist putting their life on the line for the betterment of our societal health. And so how do we reframe what the work is to commu- to you know cities, to government officials, to whoever we're trying to get money from, to really understand what is the work that we're doing and why is it important and what is the value that really should be tied to it. I, which brings me to my next question. Do any of you feel like the mission that you're on within your creative practice, is it in conversation with financial liberation? And if so, how is that something that's within you yourself or is it something that's that you do in service to others, like your work is related to financial liberation, or is it something that you've really been conscious of within your practice? It's open to anybody. Yeah. I'll quickly say that um, a big part of like what I do is try to pass on whatever information I have to my community. So how I yes. resonated with the last question, what stuck out to me was like protection of community. So I yes. just kind of wanted to name that because that's, my challenge is um, it's easy to like take the anti-racism workshop or maybe not easy, but like it's how do you take those skills and then actually show up and do it? So that's been just how I wanted to kind of respond to that. And then um, remind me of the second question again. Yeah. Just like where, because whatever resonates with in you in terms of your creative mission, how is that in conversation with financial liberation for yourself or for the community that you serve? Yeah. So like really tangibly, I teach budgeting basics for dancers. Right. Mm -hmm. So I think that, um, dancers, uh, black folks. Bring that mic, boo. Sorry. <laughs> dancers, black folks. A lot of folks maybe don't have as much access or education around um, finances, money, um, and all of those things. So 
somehow I was able to acquire, acquire that information through research, studying, taking different workshops. Um, and once I realized that that was something that I saw was lacking in our community, I tried to figure out ways that I could bring that. So um, teaching it on different levels at different universities, but also offering it for free for folks, because okay. how, you, how are you going to acknowledge that like the community um, doesn't is lacking an understanding of some of these financial things, but then also make it inaccessible for them to get that information. Yes. Um, so yeah, that's how I resonate with that question that's really great. tangibly. And it shows up in a lot of different ways in the work that I do, but that's like a really specific way that that shows up. That's great. Does it, does it show up for anyone else in terms of like, how do you, how are, how are you in conversation with financial liberation in your work? <laughs> I saw breaths come in and let them release. Indira, take it away, and then you bring us home. Uh, yeah, so it's interesting for me because when I think about financial liberation within the institution that I work in, I also think about the fact that we're working in systems and structures even though we're trying to change them in philanthropy. Mm -hmm. Right. So there's a desire to have financial liberation mm -hmm. in the work. And then for me personally, I recognize I sit in a seat of privilege in the role that I have at the organization. Right. And I recognize the individual people who helped me to get there as well as the community. So I'm always looking to them um, in some ways for guidance, but also to be in deep listening. Right. Because I recognize that's a part of what I have to do within my work to then come in and try to change the policy and change the thing and make sure it's accessible and make sure that we're equitably distributing resources, right? Because we know that that hasn't been happening, not only in certain parts of the country, as far as dance is concerned, but certainly within certain forms and aesthetics, whether they're well-known or emerging um, and being you know, newly created. So it's interesting yeah. and it's definitely yeah. a push and a pull because we're still, you know, working in a specific system um, as much as we're trying to break out of that. And so even institutions, I believe, are looking for financial liberation. They might not all say this. I will speak on behalf of my organization. There's a space within that that we're looking to have so that we can do better work and better service for the artists and communities that we, you know, we want to empower and support within their artistic endeavors. Yes, I love that you're bringing in that institutional perspective because so often it feel I think it can feel for people that the institutions are over here and I as the artist am over here. But in reality, the artist is in the institution. The the there are people who want to liberate and up in the systems and the structures that people are mad at every day. So that's that's a constant dialogue my role because it's, as you said, like the artists are here, the institution is here, and um, specifically at NIFA, we are what you call an intermediary, right? Mm -hmm. So we we have funders, right? So as much as mm -hmm. for artists who might receive a grant from the organization, they're like, you are the funder, which like, yes, and, and. actually we still submit proposals to get funding. Yes. We still also have final reports to do. Yes. And so we do empathize with the artists when they have questions about certain systems we have in place, and we want to try to make those as easy as possible. And at the same time, recognizing that we're you know, we're in a shift in place the in between. Too. Yes. Um, and, and I think that's important to recognize as well, um, because there is a difference between those foundations that are able to give in that way and then others who might be put under whether certain constraints or certain uh, rules, if you will, in terms of how to redistribute money. Right. Yes. And so, like, there's something else to, to be acknowledged there, I'll say. Completely. There's always another layer. 
than what meets the eye. What were you going to chime in with? Sort of like a like a not fully completed thought. That's uh, good. We I, like that. Yeah. Express. <laughs> Thank you. I don't know if my work in it. You know, it's one of those things where it's like you're working towards something, you're following your gut, you're following your instincts and what your values are, and then maybe ten years later you zoom out and you're like, wow, I was really focused on you know community engagement or yeah. whatever that is, right? Uh, and when the first thing that came to mind with this question of financial liberation is the unpaid labor of dancers. Um, And I, it's something I think about all the time as someone who is an employer, sort Mm. of, that the amount of labor, commitment, and time of my collaborators that even though I do pay and I try to pay as well as I can and it's not enough, as we always know, it's not enough. All the the classes that dancers take, the parking they pay for, the work that they have to do to be able to be available to me, um, to collaborate with me, yeah. feels like, like a much bigger question, um, uh, much more important question for me. Um, moving forward, and I think that the pandemic had a way of exposing a lot of that those really unhealthy relationships. Especially, uh, I I didn't say this before. My name is Rosie Herrera. I'm from Miami. I'm a choreographer. Um, uh, my pronouns are she/her, señora. <laughs> and so, uh, in Miami, over the past year and a half, we've had like a, a, I don't know, like a hurricane force gentrification, mm. right? Where um, the our we are now one. We're more expensive than Miami, than New York City. Yay, Pioneer! Ugh. We did it. We did it. Wow. Um, so we and this has happened over a year and a half. Mm. And so those the the labor or unpaid labor of the the collaborators and myself as well, but my collaborators is much more visible because people are just getting pushed out like yeah. so quickly. There's nothing. There's nowhere to go. Mm. There's just nowhere to go. We keep getting pushed out. First, it was, you know, of our own communities and then the other ones and then another one. And I also recognize artists as uh, arbiters of gentrification as well. Um, but that that it's clear because it, the, the shit hit the fan. So people had to leave. Yeah. And so I think that's the first thing that comes to mind for me that I my relationship to liberation will always be wrought until I feel mm. like I can liberate my family, you know, my, my dance family, my family too, but my dance family. Yeah. I, I think that's interesting. It kind of got me thinking about, cause you said family. So that took my brain to generational wealth and like, what does, what's that? doesn't so (laughs) well, you know, it's, (laughs) it's more so thinking about like, what, what do people have access to based on where they are in the generations that came before them Mm -hmm. and where, where does that wealth sit? And so when we look at what equity is, that's a whole other can of worms because equity isn't about, okay, we're all starting from the realization that equity, diversity, and inclusion exists, and we need to make things better. We're starting from a place where there were people who haven't had access to any resources to be able to live the life that maybe this other person who took the same amount of dance classes had. This person was on scholarship, or this person had to work to take those dance classes, whereas this person's family was able to pay for all those dance classes, and now both of those people have come out and are uh, applying to the same job or in the same company, but, and now they're making 
the same, but not, but they aren't really, they aren't. And that same sure. dollar doesn't pay for things in the same way it would if, if that other person had access to the means that basically the other person did have access to. So when you talk about taking care of your dance family, I think, I think that, I think about self-preservation first, like in conversation with financial liberation, and then what does that mean once you come? You have you to come? put your mask on before mm -hmm. you put the, in mm -hmm. the plane, they're always like, adjust your mask before yes. you attempt to put yes. your mask on. Yeah. And, and mm -hmm. within that context, generational wealth is very much tied to generational trauma. And what is your familial relationship to money? What is your consciousness or understanding of like debt or relationship to, you know, even accepting money, accepting help, like how many of us were on welfare or how many of us had to, you know, have an anxiety around handouts and our entire arts ecosystem is like based or nonprofit arts ecosystem is based on asking for money from somebody. And then you look outside and you pass by people who are on the street asking for money and you think about what is an artist you know, when, some, when you say, hi, I'm an artist to any Joe Schmo walking down the street, they're like, oh, they're a struggling artist. Oh, they're a starving artist. And so just like all of the associations that can yeah. come with like, what does money even mean to us? And I feel like it's really interesting because you shared that you're also teaching. I mm. teach to business and the arts. So it, how have you sort of seen you know, some of that trauma come up or not, or just like what has your relationship to things been? Um, so just to your last point, yeah. um, I like to always say that it's a privilege to be able to work for free. And I say that over and over again, because not everybody gets to show up to the free gig, right? You have to have access to something else to make that happen, right? A rich yeah. partner, rich family. You also have to have the ability, right, to work those other jobs. We don't talk about that enough. Yeah, literally, um, the yeah, ableness. Right, literally. Mm -hmm. um, and then just to your second question, I wanted to edit a little bit of what I said earlier. I think that um, dancers, black folks, we do, we are financially literate because we've had to be. I think it just doesn't show up in the ways that exactly. uh, we praise, right? Like, yes. I, and we talked about this um, yesterday, um, we know how to stretch a dollar, mm -hmm. right? Like so Frugality think, and right, like what? Right, so I think, yeah, definitely the trauma has come up. I think you just see it in the, the information that's not there. I think people's relationship with money, that's something I'm also trying to shift. Yeah. Um, I think that for a lot of people, um, their money runs them. Mm -hmm. And I'm trying to teach people how to run their money. Mm -hmm. um, so I think it's just kind of shifting um, the way we view money um, and our relationship with it. That's um, been interesting to explore. Yeah. Can, also add, like, the, can we take a minute to just recognize like the shame that mm -hmm. also comes for ha from having money and the way that people perform that shame in spaces and artist spaces? Mm -hmm. Like, that's daunting, you know, and you feel it and you, you know, you know, like, and this happens to me a lot. It's like the one dancer I have that has like, that doesn't work and has like a wealthy husband and blah, blah, blah. She's the one that's like, are you going to be reimbursing my luggage? And I'm like, you want me to perform that I don't know that you don't have to fucking work. Don't make me do that. Mm. Don't make, I'll, I'll, I'll reimburse your luggage, but don't make me have to perform that you're on the same page as this person who's barely scraping by. That is something that I 
I'm coming up against right now. Um, but that, that it, it irks me in a deep way that yeah. I, and I, I'm still sort of trying to build language around mm-hmm. that and, and in a healthy way, learn how to express what, what my needs are and what my boundaries are in those spaces, because that shame is, is palpable. I don't know if you guys have felt it, you know, um, or, um, and how it changes a creative process. Of that for me is like, I think it, there just needs to be more transparency. Yeah. That feels yeah. important to me. Like an example is um, I used to dance in a company, didn't make enough money, right? But I had a colleague who lived in Midtown, right? And it was a second company connected to a school. So people could look at us and you'd think, oh, you got into that company, so you get to live on 55th and 9th, uh, right? So I think that's why the transparency is important because yeah. there's a lot of younger folks who are looking to this and it's like, oh, yes. this plus this equals that. And then you get there and that's not what it is. So that's yeah. what came up in that for me. Mm-hmm. I yeah, I, I'm glad you offered that. Chumatatu, something's on your mind. Oh, yeah. um, <laughs> Uh, for, I think maybe for the past seven or something years, I've had this uh, projects talking about transparency and also shame. Mm. When it, I, 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 when I was a younger artist, all of that stuff was so mysterious. How people put yeah. these things together, all the kinds of hidden wealth that people were were coming into. Uh, uh, the, hidden much more than the kind of you know like the the, the some of the more obvious systemic. Uh, patterns that people are, yeah. are, are a part of and interaction with. And so I had the, I, I've been working on this project of just having, um, publishing all of the creation budgets for the different projects that, I, that I've been uh, working on for the past seven years, just because it's, you know, I always had questions about like, oh, well, what are people paying other people? Yeah. You know, what are, what are like lead, people in the lead artist position paying other collaborators, yes. all that stuff. And, um, you know, how those, how those elements work together. And then we've recently, when I'm talking about we, I work with Mariah Weathers as a, a managing producer, or I, I, I think we, is it, okay, that's <laughs> like, titles, <laughs> the, the titles. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but uh, recently, they've been putting up the, uh, the touring budgets, too. So to see, like, you know, what, what, what percentage of this money to be able to make this tour possible is coming from grants that we've gotten yeah. or from the contribution from the, the, the presenters and stuff like that to demystify some of that stuff. And I'm always the... I think about transparency a lot. I don't even know if it's the right word necessarily anymore. I think I might need to use a new one because it, it just feels like it's so popular. I don't even know really what it means anymore or what direction that it's yes. going in, in service of what. And for me, the trying to make, uh, trying to make logical sense out of, you know, out of of a basis that exists within capitalism. That's, I'm not doing that anymore. Mm -hmm. One of the, uh, uh, this choreographer, Nora Chipomire, one, one thing that she told me one time was, uh, in talking about, you know, like I was working on a grant proposal and the, had all these ethical concerns or whatever. Mm-hmm. And she was like, uh, I, I'm paraphrasing, you know, so, okay. so don't, don't, you, just, you better get this money, you know, because it's, cause you shouldn't have to be applying for it anyway. It's being held within these foundations, within these, um, what are they called? Like the big, like, uh, uh, institutions, endowments, 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 Ah, you know, all of these places, that money, those resources were acquired 
from all kinds of evil manipulation. It shouldn't belong there anyway. It, yeah. it, doesn't, it doesn't belong there anyway in the fact that we have to apply for it, yeah. you know. And especially when I'm talking to black and indigenous Turtle Islanders folks about like you working on budgeting and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. I'm trying to come from the place of okay, let's get this money, let's acquire these resources, you shouldn't have to be applying for it anyway, so let's try and focus. Yes, those ethical concerns are important, put them where they belong, look at this as the process of getting money. Get, and also, money. I think it's, it's knowing that the money is already yours. Coming in with that mindset, rather than I'm asking, I'm hoping, I'm proving. No, you know you do great work. And the more that you're just clear and confident in what that work is, I think application isn't the word that should even be used in terms of what it is. It's really, it's almost like they're brokering access to funds that should be redistributed to the people that are doing good, good work. And it's also not even, it shouldn't be a judgment on the work. When I'm on these grant panels, the one thing I, I don't like is anything that is a judgment to the work. The work it needs to be done, no ifs, ands, or buts. The money shouldn't be tied to like why you do the work. It should just be, here's the money because you do the work. Thank you for that take it a step further like for me whose money is it anyway that's what i'm saying it's, who earned it's, that money and i'm not talking about 10 years ago i'm talking yeah. about 100 years ago mm -hmm. maybe two or three right? yeah like, that's system. what comes up for me mm -hmm. you know what i mean yeah, and, and i think what you were getting at around transparency is is really interesting because i i felt excited about the demystification of things like that i think there's a there's it's, it's a radical word that I, th I think we're looking for. It's not about transparency, it's about like breaking, breaking open um, this access to knowledge. Intimacy almost, it's like shared vulnerability in this way, you know? But, like, it, but it's, mm -hmm. I don't know, for me it's rougher than that. It's, it's like we're, there's a fight yeah, that's, yeah. that's happening and, and we're in that constant fight to make sure that we're bringing up other people into an environment where they understand what's what they need to know, yeah, indeed. And I'll, I'll just offer too, I don't even know that it's a fight. I'm tired of fighting. Yeah, that's fair. I mean, even, even with all of the different experiences that I've had, yes, I'm still tired of, of having to fight. There are some things, as my grandmama would say, that you just gotta burn at the root. Yes, yes. You just gotta burn it at the root, and that's where we have, we have to go to. And I think about uh, the opening plenary with Mark Bermuda Joseph yeah. talking about like these different four areas as we think about a visioning for the future. Mm -hmm. And for me, the growth and collapse space that we yeah. were kind of talking about, even as the, the most challenging one was the trans transformative transformation. transformation, but mm -hmm. the collapse space is very interesting. I think we're in that actually right now. Yeah, yeah. I, no, think I think we're, we're sitting in the collapse. Yeah, I think we're and that's why in the it's hard for us sure. to define it in this moment, and we're searching for words that maybe don't exist yet mm -hmm. because we're 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 in the process of creation. Right, and I think this this reimagining that we're going through um, is ve is very important, but we still also have to get to the action space. So I love being able to talk about let's imagine and let's let's do that. And it's important to be in a dream space. I love being in a, in a dream space. And then we also have to bring that down a little bit to say, OK, and then what is this next motion we're trying to make to really move this advance this forward? Mm -hmm. Because if not, we're going to be stuck in just this. Oh, we all know what it could be, what it should be. And then. <laughs> 
And then what, you know? And so I think that's why, especially during this particular season that we've had, there's been so many conversations about that. And I, and I am always interested and I feel honored when I'm in conversations with artists who at least feel like they could give it to me real. And maybe that's the relationships that I build with them. Mm -hmm. And I appreciate that so much because all of that information is like, right? Uh Uh-huh. Yep. Because the artist will lead us. Mm-hmm. Like, that's the reality. Even yeah. in a space at a foundation, I'm very clear on where, like, yes, I might be the person working strategically to build out the thing, mm-hmm. but the thing itself is really from the conversations that I've had with artists to be able to make sure that we're showing up in the way that they need. And, the, and that's because that's always changing, too. There's not just like, oh, this is what Rosie told me, you know, she needed in 2019. Yeah, that's not the same at the end of 2019, forget, <laughs> yeah. you know what I mean? And, and I mean, we're trying to work through remaining nimble, remaining, remaining honest and in integrity with the, with the way in which we're providing support and wanting to dig deeper. And I think that's going to always require constant communication and still then still moving into, okay. And then how to, how the, how, right. Not just the yeah. what, but really getting into the how and that pushing. Yeah. And, and thinking about that, how, we we have how to get money as artists in a certain amount of lanes that are most talked about. But I'm curious about how, what and how are some of the ways that maybe you all have invested in yourselves or, you know, in, in other areas of your work where you've seen a financial return on that investment, where it may or may not have been related to whether or not you got a grant. Maybe it's a different stream of income that you created for yourself or your association to investment. Maybe that investment isn't a monetary thing, but it, it returned financial dividends to you. Is, has there been things that, that have come up for you on that? I see some nods. Yeah. Chumatatu, you want to go first? <laughs> Sorry. You don't have to. I could pass it right <laughs> over here. I, we got we got folks off the ready. <laughs> I was not because of the the I was at the, the non-fungible token conversation yesterday. And uh, uh, I was not because I, I saw friends in the audience and just did the anyway, the I for me I have I don't I don't know. I I haven't figured that out. I, what I can tell is the uh, in 2012 I got this fellowship and like they'll they'll encourage recipients of the fellowship to go into buying real estate in Philly, mm. um, and I was less than a week from closing on this triplex because you know like it, not just real estate but like you know a rental property. Yeah. You know I was less than three weeks of closing on this tri tri state triplex. One of them, one of the units I was going to live in, and then the other two would, would be rented out. In my West Philly neighborhood, you know, mm-hmm. the neighborhood that I had been in for decades, um, and then I just, I backed out of it because I just didn't, I couldn't make sense of uh, how not to get so swept away in that rhythm of displacement, mm-hmm. knowing that, you know, like knowing that, okay, the rents that I'm going to have to charge, you know, are going to contribute to all of that stuff. And I didn't have, at the time, I didn't have a strong enough, you know, I didn't have cooperate, uh, strong enough cooperation or uh, uh, other organizing going on around me to be able to, to try and make sense mm-hmm. of how to utilize, you know, utilize that structure in service of the destruction of it, Mm. of that structure that needs to happen. I just didn't have, I I wasn't, I wasn't organized in that way with that particular project. Um, 
so I guess all I, all I wanted to say is that for for me, I know that I the I don't think it's so much about shame, but just trying to trying to make sense of notions coming out of this economy like passive income earning and stuff like that mm-hmm. that feel like uh like I'm 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 cooking on the flames that everything is burning in mm. you know I'm just it's it's really hard for it's really hard for me to be imaginative imaginative about that you know I mean like I can be imaginative about all yeah. kinds of things but that it just it just it's a to, completely different application and it makes me it makes me when you were talking uh, Nadira I was thinking about just the the amount of cooperation that needs to be so that the people that are really good at dreaming but not, might not be as good at the house are in partnership with the people that are doing the house and like that the, the yes. kind of co- the, the, that collaboration it just feels so so central mm-hmm. to really massively destroying and interrupting all Yes, yes, we're with you, we're with you. I feel like Antoine was going to chime in. Um, So for me, um, the way I'll answer this question is there's a YouTuber. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Her name is Maya Washington. Um, And I was really inspired by her and her work. And one thing she did one year was she was like, I'm going to put myself out there for a year. Yep. every single day and see what happens. And her brand and everything around her grew so much in that year. Mm-hmm. So my version of that was like getting on Instagram and I was like, okay, I can't do every day. <laughs> I can do every other day. Yeah. Um, and I posted on uh, my Instagram account every other day and my life changed through that. So it's yeah. like to answer the question about alternative means of income. Mm-hmm. Um, I've been able to support myself through social media, um, also dance and also uh, admin. Mm-hmm. And then it's transformed into where I don't even really do that much on my social media channels anymore. I'm trying to get back into it, but burnout is real. Um, but <laughs> yes. I've also been able to take those skills um, and apply them to other companies and organizations who can also compensate me for my ideas. Mm-hmm. So the way I'll answer that question is that for me, it was on this um, idea of investing in yourself. It's mm-hmm. also like understanding what you like to do and what are you into? Because I I think you talked about what um, a lot of dancers do is like Pilates or gyro. And we love it. If you love Pilates and gyro, you do that Pilates and gyro. But I don't love Pilates and gyro. So I have to find what do I like, right? I don't want to fall into these things. And it's about how can I monetize my passions, right? If we're going to be capitalistic about it, right? How can I monetize my passion? So um, I like administration, right? I I, I have a knack for like organization and all those things. And I'll step back. um, I think as a dancer, you're... And we talked about this yesterday. I, I, I used to be so embarrassed that I did things other than dance. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like so embarrassed that I had that I was good at other stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, but once I started to lean into those skills that I had, um, my whole life changed. My life got more comfortable. Um, I was able to su- support myself off of all my skills, not just dance, right? Yeah. So not just continuing to go to this industry and this place that you want support from, but maybe doesn't have it from you. Mm-hmm. Um, I explored other things that I was able to do to support myself. So yeah, social media is like the example, but I say that not that, and I always like to be clear about this, whenever I talk about the things I do, it's not so that everyone can go and do exactly what I do. Yes, that's it's not, find your version. Right, because that's not what I did. I didn't do exactly what everybody else was doing. Yeah. I found what I liked and started doing that and found ways to monetize that. So like, I use that as an example, but I encourage people to find your thing and exactly. try to figure that out, yeah. Yeah, when, when I'm working with clients, the way I define that for them is, there's a difference between your creative career and a complementary career and understanding not about shame around, oh, my day job or plan B or backup plan. Like I came from 
South Central LA, what no options for no backup plans. I just needed to have my ducks in a row. And so how many ducks do I need? And what's the row we gonna create? The last thing I want to say too is like, and this, so I think what it felt like sometimes for me is that like, say I'm talking about dance, um, activism, entrepreneurship, which is like three titles I used to describe myself. It felt like sometimes I had to figure out how I could fill one cup with all of those things. Mm -hmm. um, but this came up to me <laughs> this morning thinking about, we went to El Patron yesterday, <laughs> and I was trying to figure out which margarita I wanted, right? But then I saw that there was a margarita flight. So I didn't have to pick one margarita. I didn't have to ask for them to put three things Fly, in one honey, cup, fly. Right? I can order three of the margaritas. <laughs> yeah. Okay? Yeah. So I think it's about less about how can I fit all this thing in one cup. Yeah. But what if I have three cups that I can fill up as much as I want? And you have three different conversations you're currently in dialogue with. And you're growing at different paces at different levels in each of those areas. And what I offer a lot is sort of rethink, thinking about can that complementary career aid your creative career? So is there knowledge that you don't have yet that you still need that if you do this career where they're like, we're always hiring or we always need bookkeepers or whatever, and you're like, dang, I don't know jack about bookkeeping, but look at this program that needs more black bookkeepers. I guess I'll do that because they're going to let me do it for free and that's going to help me understand how to better manage my money. Like finding things to help your other thing can also allow you to feel more confident and lose some of that shame in the process or shed it. And because I, I think we're in a, t a period of like releasing right now, because that's also like, it's not just about financial liberation. It's also what does financial health look like? Like knowing that version of yourself that you do want to be or that you want your company to be, map that out. And do you have the tools or the words to even do that? On both sides of the spectrum. Exactly. Both those that have a lot and both, and those that have not, because the, uh, the shame that I, um, I, I have never felt shame about being poor and working, but the shame that I have dealt with the most as a creator is the shame of people who have not had the same journey as me, mm -hmm. who are uh, pr very privileged and really uncomfortable with sort of dissecting what that is. Mm. Granted, you know, I can't just like I've done before, you know, like go take this workshop or, you know, I can't do that for everyone, but yeah. that feels like a heavier, what is fine? What is financially healthy for the, the institutional large organizations? What is that health for them spiritually, emotionally, and how do they bring that energy into different rooms? So not just us, but who's asking the Mark Morrises and the Alvin Ailey's and the large organizations, what do you carry into the, those rooms? Like mm -hmm. those questions need to be asked because I feel sometimes like for when you're an artist, people are just like, oh, so you're an artist. So like you, I don't know, you know, when they're like, oh, the person that's criticizing you should get, should criticizing should get out of the way of the person getting it done. Mm -hmm. You know, it's like, you should do this. You should do that. You should do that. It's like, I'm drowning. I'm drowning. I, 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 I at the, the, uh, I'm, I'm a full-time choreographer and that is amazing, you know, but the cost has, has often been me. And so I hear these ideas and I'm like, oh, these are, these are amazing. But the capacity to yeah. start to do those things, like, for example, I love being a panelist. I like not just this, but just like yeah. reading applications and stuff. And the reason I started doing it, I mean, I'm sure I was a diversity hire for a while, but, um, like the reason was because I'm like, 
I took it super seriously. Mm -hmm. I was like, oh, I applied for this grant five times before I got it. I'm going to look at this video with all of my heart. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to look at this budget and be like, why did she not pay herself? And I like, because I, I could empathize and put myself in that role. So even outside of like you, like you said, Antoine, finding something that you cared about or that you liked, you know, yeah. but it's also the care with which you do the work that you're already doing. Mm -hmm. And I think Tim who had said this earlier this week, like that way of thinking, that dreaming way of being is an asset. It's a huge asset. And we find our way of, mm -hmm. um, making that work for us. I, I'll give you an example. I was a part of this, like, um, I don't know what I was doing. I guess I was a, a choreographer, a movement consultant for a company, a theater company. And the director uh, was like rough, you know, he was like giving a lot of exercises to the artist and not really giving them a lot of information and then just being like, well, that's not it. Do it again. That's not it. Mm. Do it again. That's not <laughs> it. And they were, it was like four hours and they were so drained and they were so exhausted, but he wasn't saying what wasn't working. So I was just like, Hey, you seem really frustrated. Why don't you take a break and I'll take over? Yeah. I mean, you would have thought I slapped him in the face. Um, he was like, uh, well, no, this is, and I was like, okay, just, it's fine. And the mm -hmm. artists that were in that room said to me later, because now I'm working with them on a separate project, that moment of you with care approaching him and saying, I recognize that you're frustrated and I'm here to help. And also I know what I'm doing. Yeah. And give me and delegate because I know I know how to take over as well. Made them realize like how toxic that relationship was with that director. Mm. And so they changed mm -hmm. that relationship. They're like, yeah, when you, you know, totally laid into him. I was like, laid into him. You're like, I, I was like, honey, are you okay? You seem frustrated. Why don't you take a break? It wasn't like I was like, go outside, calm down. <laughs> take a minute, take yeah. a seat. Clearly, you yeah. know, like I, I was just with care, but that yeah. was radical in that moment. So, so but I think that's really interesting to think about like, what does care look like mm. in this work in this what we've identified as really heavy traumatic <laughs> uh, <laughs> intense uh, emotionally charged labor mm. like they're they one we're trying to get paid for the labor but then there's the labor and understanding the labor that we're trying to get paid for so that's yeah. that and it's also where do we carve out the space what does capacity look like to learn we're going to learn all these dance steps like do we take 10 minutes at the end of each rehearsal to start talking about some things that we just need to know as a community and like what what does collective learning look like to not just change us ourselves you know as an individual trying to understand what do i need to do but like how do we change the field how do we change our community how do we change our little group of artists so that we're in dialogue or we're absorbing the information that we do need in order to start to make more informed decisions yeah. and so when we think about you know resources that we may or may not have access to or things that we've sought out have there been um, resources or concepts even that you're currently l looking at or trying to explore or understand better right now to shift yourself into a more comfortable place with how you manage your, your financial liberation. <laughs> <laughs> 
I'm sorry. Would you repeat that one more time? Yeah, the, the, let's the, see if I remember what there. I said. Okay. Uh, <laughs> but really, I guess what I'm getting at is what resources have you either sought out or are there concepts that you're currently trying to unpack for yourself mm -hmm. to deepen that commitment if you feel like you are committed to your own financial you know, growth, liberation, release, whatever? I think for me, the one of the things in working collaboratively and working with performance and working these within these modes that have to do with communication with people is calibrating the resources, the budgets, et cetera, so that the so that they are in consideration of the time that it gets to take to get to know somebody. You know, with the, the relationships between the group of artists and the instant people at the institutions, the group of artists and the people that are sending money to the work, the, with the group of artists and the, the people that are witnessing the work. You know, what, it, what, is, what is the time that it takes to get to know people? And it's a lot, you know, yeah. and, then, and then trying to, and then for me, it's been about, for Mariah and I, it's been about making sure that the, the, people that we're going into partnership with have an understanding of what that investment is yes. um, and how much it costs. Uh, oh God, I, sorry. The, the, <laughs> I, I hate putting it that way, but you know, but I, you know, I mean, the, the, but, but that it, that, you know, it costs something because it's, because it, we have expenses that are accumulating, you know, every day by, based on, you know, this construction of time yeah. that we're within. It makes me think of like, cola or whatever like what's what's the what's the cost of living increase that artists get and how are you starting to budget yeah. for that um or even thinking just about there's there's resources like glass door when you look for a for a job and you're like well what did they make or what did they say about the job and we can go and look that up mm. easily and i'm as I was listening to you, almost like, well, what's the version of that? And you were you were talking about how you have your transparency in the budgets and like these sort of things that exist. But like, how can we, you know, break open the the system so that there's more understanding, more care, so there's a there can be a collective concern rather than these like silos of concern that are all still trying to talk to each other about like, well, what can we do from the seat that I sit in? What can I do from the seat that we sit in? But where's the collective dialogue and conversation so that there's the care involved? So I, I really appreciate you kind of bringing that up. It, anyone else want to chime in with like what resources either you've sought out or concepts you're now con reconsidering as you're moving through your financial journey? I want to uh, follow up um, that if it's not overtly stated as you are both exploring, if it's not overt, it will not happen. Yeah. You know, and, and we brought up the work of Emily Johnson and the um, decolonization writer yep. um, that there is the, the having that information, having it written down, 
means that the organization is like signing. There's so many, when we enter into a space, there's all these like unwritten contracts like that are just sort of understood. But having that, um, it really does change the way that, that people engage with you. So like, yeah. I just want to say like that, I really appreciate those things being stated, being written down and being overt because it mm-hmm. will not happen mm-hmm. otherwise. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Anyone else? What's coming up for me is just kind of to respond to what Jumatatu said, this stuff costs money. Yeah. I think that we think the whole idea thing is going to be free. And I'm like, open your purse. Right? Yeah. This costs money. Like it, like a simple thing that we, I talk about at the Met. I, I, um, I'm a regular dancer at the Met. I'm also on the board of AGMA. So we work really hard to like um, be transparent with all of our signatories' contracts so mm-hmm. that I can see exactly what a city ballet dancer makes. I can mm-hmm. see what an Ailey dancer makes. I can see what... And then you can see, like, why does this apprentice at this company make more than this second-year dancer at this company? But that's like a separate conversation. But I think um, what's coming up to me about resource, because that's the word I keep hearing, is yeah. like getting more clear about what you need. Yes. And this is something that Sydney Mosley taught me. It's like... We think it's just money that we need, mm-hmm. but when you can actually look at those budget lines and get really mm-hmm. clear about what you need, there might be a different path forward that's just, that's different than a grant, right? So if I'm if I'm producing a piece, what what do I need? I need rehearsal space, I need costumes, I need et cetera. And the first thing we think is okay, I need money to get that. Mm-hmm. Rather than checking in with your community, with the people around you, um, to possibly, you know, work together and share resources. Um yes. so that's something when when I think of resources, like that's what's coming up for me, is like really understanding what you need. Need, mm-hmm. And it's not just money. And mm-hmm. if we can collectively as a community kind of shift that, I think that'll move us to a different place. Um, yeah. Totally, totally. Indira, was there any last words that you wanted to add? And it's okay if no, you I will. I will add. It's making me think about invoices. <laughs> yeah, I was actually thinking about it too. I was thinking about the line items and it's like how ma- you define yeah, those. It's ma- more so than like the budget, right? Because you know, some of those can be very standard and it's still questions of like, do I put this here, you know, and how do they know that this yeah. is, you know, this is included inside of this. But it also makes me think about when you're invoicing someone, like really being clear about, again, talking about costs and that these ideas cost. I mean, all artists are consultants. Mm-hmm. And we want to talk about how much consultants get paid. Exactly. There's emo- that's what yeah. I'm saying. There's, yeah. It's like when we really talk about an invoice, like what's my, my question to artists and something, I guess, for consideration as you, yes, in the process of creating a new project or whatever it is that you're doing is like, what is your invoice? And also like the basics of negotiation. We have, con- I think, conditioned ourselves to think we only ask for what we need. Heck no. Y'all better ask for that and then some. You better ask for the moon and the stars so then you get what you need. Your wish, your want, and your walk. Like, what do I wish for? That's the that's the bare minimum that I ask for so that maybe I actually get what I need and then I can play around with that. And and also the the community aspect of this makes me think about cooperative economics, makes me think about like what are ways in which we're not just focused on the singular journey and what is the collective journey and how are we contributing to that from whatever seat we have at whatever table we're at, we're building. Um, and so I, I love that you brought in the, the line item part. And, and I think that's a great reframing for all of us to leave with. It's like, you are not just whatever insert title you are that, and you are, you are a consultant. 
So what is your consulting fee? And let it be known. <laughs> and <I laughs> let it be known. I'll add to what yeah. you just said about negotiation and how that's, you know, very important. Being clear about what's not negotiable. And then knowing when to walk, you right. don't necessarily need, I get it from somewhere else mm -hmm. because someone else will take you seriously. If they won't, then they'll be like, oh, okay, well, that, oh, we didn't support them. That's awkward. And so your next ask. <laughs> but, that's, but that's what I'm saying. Like the non-negotiables are also going to be the things that begin to push the industry in the way that we want to see it reimagined, right? Because if not, then we're all still having the same conversations and you are just accepting or starting to accept that this is just what this it is, is and it really doesn't align with your ethos. It doesn't align with what it is that you want to do and the impact that you want to have. And so in order for other things to shift as well, it's got to just be like, well, this is what it is. A firm and, no. Yeah. And if that's, mm -hmm. and if that's not, you know, in alignment with what, you know, it seems like you want or you desire or you need, then okay, then this maybe isn't the opportunity for me. I'm going to share something that I do say to artists and, you know, some folks in the philanthropic space may disagree with my approach and that is fine, but I, I'm coming from a place of compassion. Yes. Filling out grant applications is labor. Charge. It is labor some. Right. One of the things that I really encourage artists to do is like, yes, look at the organization and look at the opportunity. It might not align with what it is that you do. Mm -hmm. And I think because we're sometimes in this scarcity mindset, yeah, you know, everybody is, trying, you know, so I'm just going to apply. I'm just going to apply. And I, I, I can understand that. And at the same time, the 30 hours, the 40 hours, the 50 hours that you've possibly spent on this, this one application, you, you, you know, a different, you could have been on Instagram, right? When the, you right. You would, you, you could have, you could have been maybe sponsored. other ways, other ways of getting yeah. support, yep. not only for yourself personally, but maybe for some of your creative projects. So I always encourage artists, yeah, look at the organization. What are they doing? Is it in alignment with what it is that you want to do? Do you feel like the work that you're doing is really going to be able to be as impactful as you want by having this particular kind of support? And sometimes that answer is yes. And sometimes that answer is no, because maybe that organization has work to do to get on your level. Yes. Do, yes. You know what I'm saying? Yes. And so that and power dynamic. It's the same thing when we look at, you know, what, what places do we want to be presented at? Like, do do they align with us? Do the same thing with your money. Where does it come from? And why do you want to thank them at the beginning of your show? Like, really? So, so, you know, with all of this dialogue that we've had, I think there's a lot here to sit with. One, it's do I care enough about myself and the journey that I'm on with the community that I have to invest my time, my, my energy, my spirit into what it really means to build and sustain the work. And am I surrounding myself with the right people to do that who are learning and leveling up with me? Um, and I think that the more that we, we commit to this work, the better for the field at large. And I want to thank the panelists for being open, transparent, vulnerable, and real with us today. And, you know, let's just give everyone a round of applause because it's real. And with that, we got to cut it. <laughs> so thank y'all. Thank you for coming. <laughs> yeah. But another round of applause for all of our panelists. I have no more content to throw at you. Anyone else full? I'm full. Um,
this is our last moment altogether. Another huge thank you for the time, the labor, the extra effort, the perseverance to get here, to be a part of it. <laughs> Alina's been on a journey this week, y'all. Thank you. Um, I have a little bit of logistics. Uh, many of you have inquired, like, how, how am I going to stay in touch with my new friends? Um, yes, that's part of our vision is how do we visibilize the network? People are doing this work all across the country. Stay connected. And out of our many intake surveys, I'm looking at Kat, who did that labor. Uh, yes. <laughs> One of the questions you answered was to give consent to share your email address. So we will be sending that list out to those that opted in next week. Enjoy the weekend, <laughs> the rest of that. Uh, we have a handful of folks who have uh, elected for one more activity because you are that enthusiastic and excited to design a creative and joyful life. The Design Thinking Workshop, people who signed up, you're going to meet uh, Christy or Megan in the back of the room. They'll walk you up there. It is a tight turnaround, but it's not super far. And the good news is you have lunch waiting for you. All right. So help us expedite while you say goodbye to your friends uh, to make sure that you can maximize the rest of your afternoon with that. Thank y'all so, so much. This has been a real highlight um, personally and professionally. And I really, really appreciate it. Inside the Dancer's Studio Lunchtime Talk Series is supported by NCC Akron, the University of Akron, the University of Akron Foundation, and the Mary Schiller Myers Lecture Series in the Arts. Our podcast program is produced by Jennifer Edwards. Ellis Roven is our composer and editor. Theme music by Flaco Torres. Cover art by Micah Kraus. Special thanks to Kat Wentz and the team on the ground in Akron, Ohio. To learn more about NCC Akron, please visit us online at nccakron.org and follow us on Instagram or Facebook at NCC Akron. We hope you enjoyed this episode and we encourage you to subscribe on your favorite podcast streaming platform by searching for Inside the Dancer's Studio. Please share with your friends and if you'd like to help get the word out, rate us and leave a review on Apple Podcasts. Thanks for listening and stay curious. <laughs>